welcome in everyone to Flyover Footy. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. My name is Matt Baker. I'll be your host this evening, this afternoon, this morning, whenever you're listening to us. And we've got somewhat of a fun episode for you. It is full-on off-season mode here at Flyover Footy, and we've got an off-season preview. The last week we looked back at the season that was, and this week we make the shift complete into the off-season. And we look to bring a little of awareness to the MLS offseason with all of its quirks. We're going to dive into all of the calendar of events in the next few weeks ahead of us. We're going to dive into exactly what each one of these processes, each one of these dates mean. Try to give a little bit of a textbook definition, but keep it light, keep it informative, exciting, and, and make it a little city flair. So in all of this, it kind of can get mundane if you if you get into the weeds too much, but we're going to keep it light. We're going to keep it interesting. And joining me tonight, I have some of my exciting friends in soccer. I've got Santiago Beltran. I've got Stuart Hulkren. Santi, you're riding high this evening as we record, watching your country get a 2-1 win over Brazil, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So happy. First time Colombia beat Brazil in World Cup qualifiers. So, yeah, so excited and and Luis Diaz scored two goals. Um, it's great for him because he had not been scoring with the with the team, and also just because uh, a few days ago uh, his father was was released from being kidnapped. What an uh, what an incredible story! I mean, it's it's got the happy ending you want, but that is so wild. Yeah, but yeah, all, very exciting. Um, this is just the beginning of the qualifying process but um just um very good for colombia so i'm happy first of many wins hopefully i hope so Stu, how are you doing this evening oh i'm doing great i uh i don't think i have quite the excitement of santi with the u.s game going on uh, last i checked it was uh nil nil against Trinidad. uh but maybe that's changed in the last few minutes now it's going to go into half nil nils we're recording this oh yep halftime but Trinidad and Tobago is on a red card right now. So uh, oh. sorry as a spoiler if someone's <laughs> saving to watch that match. If you're one of the two dozen people who aren't watching it live who are going <laughs> to watch it later. If you're listening to this on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you haven't uh, watched the U.S. game first, let us know because I would be dying to know if there are people who are listening to the to Flyer <laughs> Footy who haven't seen the U.S. game who want to. That, w- that would be fascinating to me. But guys... <laughs> Guys, before we get into the off-season calendar events, there is one little interesting thing that Santi and I were discussing before recording, and I feel it warrants a, a little bit of discussion. And we let's not dive too deep into this, I, but you know, it speaks for itself in what I'm about to read. Um, right after right after the season ended, Lutz Fennenstiel, our sporting director of St. Louis City, gave his kind of end-of-season recap, thanking the fans and everything on social media. On all of his platforms, he thanked the fans for their support. He thanked ownership. He called out the city futures as having served our communities by breaking the pay-to-play model. He thanked City 2, the academy, producing players for the first team, and the on-field success of City this year. He also said, and this was his quote when he put the, 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 the post up, saying, quote, It is important to remember that it is year one of a five-year plan. The first team is ahead of schedule. We met our objectives, but that is never enough. I want to assure you that we are already working hard on what comes next. We have been planning our offseason for some time. I can promise you we plan to improve the squad, make tweaks to our setup, and come come back for next season stronger than ever. Now, reading that, that's how we went into preparing for flyover, knowing that they were hard at work and we can look forward to a lot of these milestones being met. But then eagle-eyed Santiago Beltran 
<laughs> happen to notice that if you look at Facebook, Facebook right now at the time of recording could still says that exact same thing. But if you look at Instagram, there has been an edit made to that, to the verbiage. Instead of listing it as year one of a five-year plan on Instagram, as of the time of recording, it reflects year three of a five-year plan. So the question was, and Stu, I'm going to post this to you because this is brand new information to you. The question is, how much does that change things? Knowing that we, this is what we speculated on was year one when he was hired back in August of 2020. And so you had 21, 22, now 23, or does year one begin now with the first team? And it seems like the goalpost had shifted back to what we originally thought. And so this being now updated to say year three, how much do you think this changes things to? Uh, it being year three makes sense to me uh, because obviously when the Academy started, that was year one. That was the beginning. That was the nexus point. But that just means that it, wh- what's the final goal in year five is what matters. Is that a MLS cup championship? Is that uh you know, CONCACAF Champions Cup Championship? Is that just Mm -hmm. a trophy in general? Uh, It compresses the timeline a lot more and perhaps makes... Well, it makes next year certainly more important uh, because it's not year two, it's year four. So if you don't execute in year four, then you better dang well execute in year five. Otherwise, your whole five-year plan is a failure. And so Santi, when, because you were the one who noticed this, uh, speaking about the goals, how do you think this changes things? If, if Lutz is saying that we're ahead of schedule by being first place in the West in now year three, do you think that maybe the end goal of year five was MLS Cup or Supporter Shield and now the timeline is getting moved up a little bit to where that's an attainable goal next year? Well, hard to know uh, what, that goal for year five is but the way i think about it is like yeah you get to year five and then you have a new five year plan i i don't think there is anything to to freak about about and after uh listening to a studio it makes sense you have to count the academy year cd2 year that's part of the process so it makes sense that it's year three um but but yeah, I was thinking about it. I was like, well, yeah, you get to year five and then you start a new plan. And yeah, he said the team is ahead of his schedule, which makes me think maybe year five, it was um, something like Supporter Shield or qualifying for CONCACAF Champions Cup, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know if they will recal- recalibrate the goals. Well, you're going to be in CONCACAF Champions League, so yeah. maybe you have to... Um, modify the goals uh, because you're going to be in a new competition. But uh, maybe the end, um, he has always said being competitive and um, based on conversations with him, being competitive could be like being in the matches. And even if you lose, it was a competitive match. It could also be uh, be uh, top of the table. But um, yeah, I think there will be some adjustments. Uh, it's great to be ahead, but I don't think um, I, I don't think the team should like get ahead of what the initial goal was. Is continue working on on being competitive and and basically becoming one of the top teams in the league. And yeah, if it comes with with hardware, if the team wins a championship, great. But uh, just continue working towards 
those initial goals and make a few adjustments. But uh, I think it's sometimes it's easy to get to the top, but uh, what's mm-hmm. difficult is to stay there. So I think the goal now is, is to become one one of those teams that always makes playoffs, is always at the top of the table and be competitive. And that's exactly what the entire league is waiting to happen is for us to have the sophomore slump to regress just like everybody thinks we will with the the few holes that, you know, Matt Doyle and them see they they've <laughs> seen in us and have, have talked about. That's on Lutz to prove them wrong. And now that we're we're seeing a little bit more of a dose of reality in the concept of this being year three of five, it gets back to our original thought that Lutz being the most interesting man in soccer doesn't stay in one place for too long and and likes his opportunities. He, he can cherry pick essentially where he goes because of his resume. He, he loves St. Louis. We know he does. He's spoken about it many times. So that's never in question. But knowing that this is a three of five year plan now, year three of five kind of gives it a different feel going into this offseason to me. Because if if you're ahead of schedule now, no matter what you're working towards as your goal, stretch goal, whatever for next year, I feel this may give him a little more reason to be aggressive even more aggressive to take that next step and to make sure that you're providing the depth that your side is going to need to at least stay where you are at the top of the western conference and and work to progress as much as possible just in mls play but in also these other three competitions we're going to be in so i think that's a good point to pivot to the off-season calendar and what we have to look forward to over the next few weeks but from a city perspective i was talking to Stu earlier and guys, this is a little, it, it's maybe more exciting to me than it was last year, where last year had that new, fresh, shiny feel going into the uh, expansion draft, going into the super draft. And you had these first moments where we're building our team. These are the inaugural players that we're going to get. It garnered us guys like Nico Joachini, Indiana Vasilev, Tim Parker on the expansion draft night. And now we're looking at possibly saying goodbye to some players and leveraging a few of those key MLS moments, the the free agencies, the re-entry draft, all of those different things that all of the teams can play a part of. So the question is, or actually the conversation has to start with which city players' contracts are expiring at the end of this year that will have some kind of announcement made over the next couple of weeks, whether it is an offer made, an option extended, free agency, re-entry draft, or whatnot. And so that list of players who are under contract with City now, whose contracts expire at the end of 2023, are Max Schneider, Owen O'Malley, Jared Stroud, Celio Pompeu, Anthony Marcanic, John Nelson, Josh Yarrow, maybe, we're not quite positive on him, he <laughs> may have an additional year, Sam Adeneron, AZ Jackson, Akil Watts, John Bell, Lucas Bartlett, and Michael Creek. Everybody else has at least a guaranteed contract through next year. And so a lot of these players, we're not quite sure, do they have an option year? We assume most of them do because that's how MLS contracts work. But some of them, different ages, different MLS experience, different years of service are going to fall on this calendar differently. So before we get into the calendar, I'm interested on your guys' takes on just this crop of players. How, how do you think this overall like globally impacts the club with this group being the ones in question and the rest of the players kind of locked down. So Stu, let's start with you. Well, I think our most important players are locked down. Um, There's some very intriguing names in there and a lot of ones I'd want to stick around. Um, But we aren't losing Berkey. We're not losing Leuven. We're not losing Klaus. So these are guys who should be kind of rounding out and filling out the roster. 
Love it. And I think that's spot on. If, if I had to pick one person who's, you know, I mean, you could pick probably a few. Uh, Jared Stroud was the only one I can think of that spoke overtly looking forward to next year. Uh, but there are some key difference makers. Santi, how do you see this group? Well, I think it's great that the spine is locked down uh, for multiple years. And yeah, then you have this group, um, some players that were promoted from CD2 and, and you have options on, some players that, that came through um, through uh, trades or uh, free agency. But um, the thing is, and this quote uh, really... Uh, really stuck to me uh, when Jake Nerwinski spoke during his uh, media availability and said, yeah, this, this group from GR1, this is the group that made history. And unfortunately, this is, and I, I may be misquoting the, the word, but he basically said that this is a business and some of us, uh, some of this group will not be, some of these guys will not be here next year just because of the nature of the business. And yeah, when I see this list, um, obviously I don't have a crystal ball to say who is going to leave and who's going to stay. But yeah, I can see um, at least two or three of these players uh, leaving. And part of it is because um, the team is going to uh, an international competition. You have to uh, release some of those rosters, roster slots to uh, bring some new guys who uh, basically will, will be guys that uh, will contribute to... Uh, the depth that you will need to uh, participate in multiple competitions. So with all these guys up for up for grabs or in question as far as what's going to happen with them, city or otherwise, the next few weeks become really interesting. So let's look at what the next few weeks look like. And as we go through this quickly, you're going to hear some interesting keywords, some you may not be familiar with if you're not familiar with the MLS-isms, the MLS mechanisms. Um, if you didn't listen to our MLS 2.0 last year, where we talked about some of these in, in preparation for our expansion draft, this is going to be kind of like that, where we try to get everybody caught up to speed on what these specific dates are and what a lot of the, the, the definitions of these terms are. So quickly going through the calendar, and then we'll circle back and get into what all these mean. November 22nd is the first big deadline. That is the club deadline to submit bona fide offers to players. That's November 22nd. We have Thanksgiving that will come. December 1st is going to be the club deadline to exercise options that players might have for next year. December 6th through the 9th, we'll have the MLS College Showcase. December 11th, the trade window opens. December 12th will be end-of-year waivers and a process that is essentially a draft. December 13th, free agency opens. December 14th is the re-entry process stage one. So a lot is going to happen in that week of December 11th. That's a Monday. December 19th is a Tuesday. That'll be the Super Draft. December 21st is re-entry process stage two. And yes, there are two halves to that re-entry, essentially a draft. And that's kind of it. There is no expansion draft this year because San Diego does not enter until 2025. So if we go back to the beginning on all this, there's probably some interesting things people haven't heard of. Re-entry is going to be an interesting one, free agency as far as MLS goes, but it all starts November 22nd with the club deadline to submit bona fide offers. And a bona fide offer is essentially an offer in writing of a new contract. Usually it increases the value a little bit, but these are out of contract players that the club will extend some kind of a new contract offer to. And as far as we know, uh, or of the information that we have, unless you guys have no otherwise, 
club options are just as much publicized as legit contract ending without an option. Not much of it goes around. Not much of it is known, which is common in a lot of these MLS circles, a lot of the MLS financials, a lot of the contract details. It's not known until a change occurs or an announcement as far as an option is picked up. But November 22nd is when the clubs have the deadline to submit those bona fide offers for a new contract in writing. Guys, do you expect any player or is there any thought, Stu or Santi, to one of these players receiving a bona fide? Do we think or have any reason to believe that any of our players are are truly out of contract for this? Santi, what do you think? From this list, um, the one that comes to mind, just because we don't know a lot about his contract situation, is uh, Josh Jarrow. Um, mm. because we don't know if he has another year or, uh, there were options on him. So I would think maybe there, but, um, for the other guys, um, all of them or most of them had options. Um, and the ones who don't, uh, obviously, and I know we're gonna talk about, uh, what an actual free agent is, um, but um, I don't see, and this is just from my personal point of view, I don't see uh, John Nelson coming back. He will be the one that will be uh, a free, free agent, as mm-hmm. as we call it in our chats, and, and have fun with that. Um, I don't see him getting a, a, an offer. So, so yeah, to me, it, it will be Jaro, uh, unless I'm missing somebody else that you guys think... Um, would be out of contract and could get a bona fide offer. Yeah, that's that's the one question I had. Just because there's not a whole lot of of, of things known with this contract, like Stu, we had talked before that Yarrow was on that one and one where he was signed to the next pro contract, and then he had the guaranteed year, so he was kind of the first city player signed, even if they didn't publicize it. I think a lot of the players will fall into those option years, and so then that leads us straight to December first. So. November 22nd being the bona fide offer deadline. December 1st is the real big one that we're, we're looking forward to because it's the club deadline to extend those options to players, exercise options. And a club option, that's kind of a little more straightforward as far as sports contracts go. It's an add-on to a contract where the club can choose to extend a player's current contract for an additional year. Their salary typically remains the same as it was on their current contract unless something is negotiated otherwise. So Stu... We assume, if we assume that a lot of these players have options to their contracts, does any one of those players that we listed earlier stand out as, yeah, you think he's likely to be uh, have an option picked up or re-signed or, or vice versa? Uh, well, I think a lot of the guys on the list are actually, I think, likely to come back. And there's some interesting names there, too. And I can go through the list if you want or just pick out one or two. Um Give us a few of your top ones. Okay, I, I would certainly say that Celio will get his option picked up. I would say Markanic uh, is certainly going to get an option picked up. Guys like uh, Sam Adeneron uh, and AZ, and both of those guys had uh, Gam, you know, yep. spent on them last year. So I think the club expected to hold on to them long term. And both of them had European interests, so they may not be with City next year, but that doesn't mean that we won't extend their contract. Yeah, that's a, that's a good shout. That players who had Gam invested in them, Sam, Az, 
uh, are, are probably less likely. And and those two players include sell-on clauses to their contracts. So there's there's more of an onus to, or at least there was during their contract or initial trade to look long-term as far as where they go. And the question would be for both of those players is do we think there is enough value now to sell them on? You assume you would look to keep them under any circumstance like you're saying, Stu. And, and I, I agree with just about every single, well, with every single one you said. And, and the question I pose as we look to things beyond the club options are, uh, and, and guys circle back to this, but think about how much we need to improve our depth versus the number of players that we kind of want to bring back. Like Stu, you mentioned Salio, Markanic, Sam, AZ. Uh, we talked about Josh. So if you start bringing those players back, then you're looking at four or five only players that we have left to turn around on our roster. And would that be enough with the, with the depth that we need to kind of ramp up with this, these additional competitions and all these matches. But th- those are not the only things, obviously you've got the bona fide offers, the club options, the next part of December between the sixth to the 10th or so, there's probably not a lot that's going to be happening with city. It's the MLS college showcase. And we saw from last year, guys, city isn't prioritizing collegiate athletes as much as uh, a lot some of the other teams with less robust academies will you know other than Ono O'Malley with his first round pick it was John Johnny Klein was the only other player selected and that was the local flair we know that had a, a reason why he was selected so I look to December 11th next with the trade window that will be open and it will be basically a free free reign so I I'm excited to see what possibilities City might have with that but it's entirely up in the air. There's no possible way you could begin to forecast what kind of trades we might have with other players. If the expansion and and super drafts taught me anything last year, it's a a losing man's battle to attempt to guess what kind of moves could happen in that huge bubble that exists. So you look to end of year waivers, you look to free agency and waivers themselves are, are fairly straightforward. It's players who are out of contract, but you still hold the rights to them in MLS um, that one, I, I don't think city will have any real issues with players rounding off, but free agency, this is where I want to touch on. And I want to make sure that you guys keep me honest in how well we understand free agency and MLS free agency and MLS to me is pretty similar to other leagues. Players are truly eligible to be signed by any other club with no selection order, no processes to follow it. It really is one of the more straightforward things that you can actually see in all of this stuff. But there are limitations for the player. And these limitations have been negotiated with the, the collective bargaining agreement between Major League Soccer and the MLSPA. Players are eligible for free agency when they're out of contract with their current club and had an option declined. Also, who are at least 24 years old and have completed a minimum of five service years in MLS. Out of contract players who received a bona fide offer can still participate in free agency. Players can still resign with their current club during free agency. So it's not saying you're gone. You can still resign. And there is no limit on the number of free agencies that a single team can sign as long as they stay within their roster limit of 30 players. Santi, you gave a little bit of a spoiler on who we think the <laughs> likely free agent is. So do you want to reiterate that one? So um, before going into that, is, does it have to be age and service or one of the two? Age and service is the way it's worded. Okay. Uh, which okay. which he meets, which he meets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I misread here what, what you had. Uh, so yeah, um, our only free agent uh, or, or the only player that would meet 
these requirements of uh, being at least 24 years old and have completed a minimum of five years of service will be uh, John Nelson, who uh, was with Dallas three years, one year with FC Cincinnati, and last year with uh, City. So um, if if City chooses to not renew his contract, he will be our only um, free agent. And we have a lot of players who are close. Jared Stroud, Michael Creek, Lucas Bartlett, John Bell, Sam Adenron, and Josh Yarrow would all qualify based on their age, but none have five years of MLS service. J- Jared Stroud and Josh Yarrow both have four listed with them. John Bell has three, Sam Adenron three, Bartlett two, and Creek one. So none of those players would qualify for free agency, but what they would qualify for, and Stu, I know this is your f- absolute favorite topic, <laughs> is re-entry. Re-entry last year, I remember specifically hearing about re-entry and nobody knowing what it was. The the word itself, the concept is an entirely foreign concept to any other sport. And we're not talking about soccer, America, we're talking at all. American sports, soccer globally. Re-entry is the process that is, to me, a direct byproduct of the single entity system and players' contracts being held by MLS. It allows players who do not yet qualify for free agency to be selected by another team doesn't give the player the option to choose yet. And players who are eligible for re-entry are at least 22 years old and have a minimum of one year of MLS service who are out of contract and did not receive a bona fide offer or whose options were not exercised by the club. Like I mentioned earlier, there's two stages to this re-entry and it really is kind of like a draft. Clubs go in reverse order of their 2023 finish, taking into account playoff performances. So it will go starting December 14th with stage one at noon. We're going to get in, we're going to get a flood that Thursday of reports of teams selecting certain players. And those players are, like I said, at least 22 and have met a minimum of one year of MLS service. And the clubs have not extended a bona fide or uh, picked up an option. Stu, what do you make of this? And what is, I guess, what's your opinion of this reentry process in, in the overall landscape of things? Well, I think it's a it's actually a tool for the players to kind of free themselves in a way from the the their parent clubs don't possess their rights to the extent that they would in the past with MLS and it's kind of an odd one, but they're not obligated to sign with the team that selects them with re-entry, correct? They're mm-hmm just able to negotiate with them um, and they're able to opt out. It yeah, is they're, bizarre. They're, they're, I believe JJ Williams was involved with this with uh, Atlanta last year. Yeah, there, there are there. It, it does give the players some power. That's a good point. And I think that's, it's kind of like the bridge to free agency. I, if I try to make this make sense in the con in the context of, the overall sports world, I have to liken it to restricted free agency hmm. where it's not necessarily the club specific that has the, the restriction and has the, the the upper hand, so to speak, or can can have a final say, but it's the league. And the player stays – if the player stays within the league, then it allows them to move, but their contract is still held invalid and can be picked hmm. up by another team. So it's it that's the only thing I can kind of liken it to. But yeah, Chris Gebhardt in chat says reminds me a little of the Rule Five draft in baseball. It's it's a totally different process, but it, it frees players up a little bit to be selected by other clubs. That's a good. I like that comparison. I think I think I'm going to use that one. The Rule Five draft in baseball. Is yeah. there any compensation involved 
in this, like between clubs or no? Uh, nope. no, no, no. Yeah, because there's not because the player has not received a bona fide offer and the contract option right. was not extended. So the club has kind of washed their hands and, and said, you know, we're willing to let you be available to all the other clubs with no compensation. And uh, and really quickly before we get too far into this one, the only city player we believe is not eligible for even the re-entry process would be Max Schneider, who was on loan for the entirety of mm. his one year with MLS. That's a that's an educated guess, like most of this. I mean, most of this are educated guesses. <laughs> they publicize nothing of this MLS city, and it's 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 the byproduct of the single entity system and their lack of transparency. So, uh, so since he was on loan, does that count as a year of service at all, or he's at zero years of service? My opinion, he's at zero years. But the fact that he was under contract would that right. make it a year? Uh, well, you say Josh Yarrow is on four years, but Josh Yarrow got drafted in 2018. He, if I remember correctly, he, he was with Philadelphia for three years. So okay. that will, that will be three and this year will be four. Yeah. That's what I had. Yeah. So I would say no, because he was on loan in USL. That's yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe that's. So with Max Schneider, and Max Schneider is actually a good bridge to the next uh, definition, which is uh, is waivers. And waivers actually occurred uh, occurs on December 12th, so backing up a couple days. Waivers is the selection process conducted in reverse order of the 23-season finish and considering postseason performances. A player qualifies for waivers if they do not meet the minimum requirements for the reentry process or free agency. So this is that last little bucket that if Max mm. Schneider doesn't qualify for reentry, he would qualify for waivers, and that would basically be the only player City has that would qualify for that. Guys, we've we've kind of reached the drafting portion of this because the the, the different processes, the re-entry has a stage two that'll be on December 21st, kind of putting a cap on all these activities before the holidays, and it's the same exact process. It's the players who are qualified for stage one. They weren't selected. They're all available for selection. And, and they can be picked up. But to Stu's point, one thing I do want to reiterate for the re-entry draft is that players can be selected, but an agreement might not be made. The player might not want to play for that club. They might not agree to contract terms. So what happens is the drafting club will hold the right of first refusal for that player. They basically have their rights. So if you if you select a player in re-entry, if City selects a player in re-entry and they don't come to terms, that player is still protected by city. And if, if, a, if another team wants that player, they'll have to give city compensation for them. So oh, watching okay. what happens in the re-entry process will be very interesting. Something that's interesting is I don't believe that extends to MLS next pro contracts. So they would hold the MLS rights for a player picked up off of waivers or re-entry, but someone could sign for MLS next pro. And as mm. long as they don't play for MLS on an MLS team or roster, they would still. So you, you, I, this happened a few years ago with uh, mm -hmm. draft picks. Yep. Uh, super draft pick where uh, I think it was Atlanta United drafted a keeper who was, whose rights were owned by Austin, mm -hmm. I believe. And they just stuck him in MLS or USL wow. for a year. Um, and then they negotiated it. But that's how I read this, and that's how it, it is. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on. It, it, and that could happen. So, a player whose rights are held 
by another MLS club, if they're selected, um, can be stashed basically. And so, uh, as long as they don't play for MLS and they don't have contract situations like that, they can be signed outside of all of these other mechanisms. So we haven't even gotten into next pro the, the biggest consideration for next pro. And it, I, I think it can be boiled down to this is that talking about all of these re-entries, free agencies, waivers, if a player is, if their rights are held by a club, but they're not on the roster, play, teams can kind of begin to get around that by signing them directly to their affiliate. There are no restrictions to next pro contracts that say you have to respect anything for MLS. So players can be signed directly to an affiliate, next pro, or, or a USL's championship team can sign them as well without any impact to MLS. A player can exist and be playing on a next pro roster, like Stu said, and their MLS rights can be held by a completely other club. That that does happen, and it may might happen this year. It would be interesting to see if City gets involved in that aspect of it. Yeah, and Atlanta did that again with the U22 player, and we haven't gotten into U22 yet, but they did that two years ago, I believe. Uh, they signed a player in the summer window and basically stashed him with Atlanta 2 until January, where they could promote him basically to a U22 contract. Last thing we have to look forward to is the Super Draft. And for St. Louis, I don't know how much we really have to look forward to that. Using an educated guess from last year and looking at the results from last year, let's be honest, guys, and let's be be brutally honest a little bit. Our first round Super Draft pick did not work out. And and that's a question that Lutz is probably working with his technical staff on how much they're valuing the Super Draft based on that experience. We don't know what happened to Ono Malley. We just know that Ono Malley has been absent from even City 2 rosters for the back half of the year. And, and he hasn't been training with the first team. It, it seems like he's on the outs. Best we can tell, right, Santi? I mean, how do we, how do we view Ono Malley in the context, especially in the context of the Super Draft going forward? Yeah, that's that's one player I would say is is on his way out. As as you mentioned, uh, at the end of the year he wasn't uh, with City or with City Two, and we know he was suspended for conduct uh, detrimental to uh, the team or the team policies. Um, so I would think he he's on his way out. Uh, but when I when you when you talk about the draft, uh, one thing that came to mind, uh, yeah, obviously City selected. Uh, Oeno Mali, but um, I the first thing I think about when the super draft from last year comes up is uh, Duncan Maguire from mm. Orlando City. It's like yeah. you always think like, oh, I wonder what would have been if City had drafted him. But obviously, hard to know, and maybe he's not a player that will have been good for the system. But he has had a lot of success with uh, with Orlando. But but yeah, definitely um, just. From the city perspective, um, based on this experience from last year's draft, from the 2023 draft, um, probably um, they won't uh, give it as much weight as um, other clubs would. But you never know. Maybe they will find a player that fits the system and maybe they will do a trade and and get in the first round. uh, those, those things uh, during the draft are definitely unexpected. So you could see that happening too. Stu, what do you think we do in the super draft where we know that St. Louis has already traded away their first round pick to Colorado in the Anthony Marcanic trade? We still hold the second and third round picks currently. 
And last year kind of showed that we were willing to go more towards the local flair than otherwise. Do you see this super draft that comes up on December 19th as being kind of fruitful for St. Louis? I don't see that, to be honest. And we saw also during the draft last year, we traded the first round pick twice. Mm -hmm. Um, So we traded it once. We had the first overall and then we traded to the eighth spot and then to the ninth. For the sixth to the ninth, one of those two. But Lutz said afterward that even if we drafted first, we were going to draft O'Malley, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) which is one of those things you're always going to say about your guy. I don't think Duncan was ever on our radar. I mean, CJ Fodry was the kind of the consensus first overall, um, and he slipped. And really, outside of Duncan McGuire, no one's really shown from the first mm-hmm. round of Not last yet. year's draft. Uh but yeah, I would I would concur with Santi that I don't expect Owen O'Malley to be back, uh especially considering he played at such a position of weakness for the city senior squad and he just failed to make an impact and even train um for a while. So I expect maybe, who knows, maybe we'll draft a SIUE guy. Like, uh, I really like Sadiq Kassan. The club's familiar mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. He's done well. Uh, I wouldn't be unhappy. I mean, I would be very happy if we drafted him in, you know, the third round or something, gave him a chance to sign with City or City 2. Um, but otherwise... Who I mean, who knows who the club is scouting, but Sadiq Hassan would be my local flair guy who I would see as like a a really positive pick similar to Johnny Klein. And if you look to, like we said at the beginning, if this is now the year three of five, then Lutz has potentially a couple years left of this super draft. And this is the year where you look for trends. Last year, Johnny Klein was brought on. You look to see if they're going to continue to use the Super Draft in that manner or if they're going to think a little more like a normal or it's a traditional MLS team and and go that route. So it'll be interesting to see. And guys, let's look to, as we finish this up, some of the players that we talked about earlier who are out of contract. Let's let's discuss a little bit who we think. Stu mentioned his earlier, but I, I, I've, I've got my own thoughts, Santi. I know you do. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS for our off-season preview here on Flyover Footy. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget to tune into our podcast. If you're not listening to us on the podcast, we are going to, in our wind down, Santi and I are going to look to some salary budgets, allocation monies. We're going to do some projecting and predicting on what we have available based on the fact that we don't know all of the data, but it's always fun to speculate. So that'll be on our wind down. Tune into the podcast if you're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. Now, Santi... Stu gave us his uh, top few players that he wants to see re-signed or thinks will be re-signed. What, uh, what do you think? We already talked about Ono Malley. We talked about John Nelson. Uh, we're looking at guys like Lucas Bartlett, John Bell, Michael Creek, Max Schneider, Jared Stroud that we haven't talked about yet. Those guys, Stu's guys, what do you think? So I'm going to start with uh, the center back position where you have uh, John Bell and uh, Lucas Bartlett. Uh, also, uh, Josh Jarrow is, is part of that group, but we already talked about him. But yeah, I would think uh, one of uh, John Bell or Lucas Bartlett uh, will not be 
Brad back and not because they are not good players, uh, but just because you need to uh, release uh, roster slots um, mm-hmm. to be able to to bring other players. So um, one of those two, um, I see uh, not resigning. And then um, Stu was mentioning before we we went live. Um, he he talked about Michael Crick and uh, maybe making that third goalkeeper position, uh, maybe a, a younger player, an academy product, which I think it will make sense when you are thinking about developing your goalkeeper of the future. Like uh, have a guy that is young, uh, learn from, from Berkey and learn from Ben Loon too, who uh, based on what we have heard uh, has great leadership skills and uh, he can also step in for, for Berkey uh, if he gets injured or something. So I can see uh, also Michael Crick not resigning and maybe um, giving an opportunity to one of the academy keepers thinking about what's going to happen. Uh, in uh, And Matt, keep me honest, Berkey is through 2025, right, his contract? Yes. Yeah, so is Berkey going to resign? when his contract is up or um, is this something um, the club needs to uh, start thinking about and maybe start developing that goalkeeper of the future. But, but yeah, I think I will use that third goalkeeper position to uh, develop a young player. So I'm going to use my, my abilities as host to sidestep the question entirely and not anger anybody for my, my thoughts that I have on players. I share a lot of it with you guys, though. I'm just joking in, in the sense that we kind of get a sense of who has separated themselves from the pack. In my mind, I look at guys like, I'm going to say names because, of course, Jared Stroud, <laughs> Sandio Pompeu, Anthony Markanik, Sam Deneron, Akil Watts, uh, Lucas Bartlett, AZ Jackson, all of those guys are top of the tier. They're, they're, they're separating themselves in what they've shown this year and the growth that they've had. I agree with you, Santi, one center back probably. But the, the thing that I, I walk away from is, and Chris Gebhardt mentioned it in the chat, City 2 has the progression path that you have to keep alive. And yeah. so if you, if you have all these players locked up that we haven't mentioned because they're locked into multi-year contracts, and you have some City 2 guys that you want to keep that pipeline going, you want to keep building that, then how many of these players can you truly bring back if you're going to enhance your depth? Because if you bring back a lot of these players, you're really saying that you're ready for them to take the next step, the next evolution, to be meaningful contributors much more than they were and consistent contributors. So the the idea that we have all these guys we've grown to know and love, it's going to be hard to say goodbye to a, a lot of them if need be, but there's a lot of, of eggs, or a, lot, a lot of eggs in the pan on this one. There's a lot of irons in the fire as far as elevating City Two players, competing for the Continental Concacaf Champions Cup, all these competitions we have with the depth. So I'll leave us with the fact that no matter what happens for options that get picked up and who doesn't, it's going to be a long month. It's a long building process to look to find the best players who will fit our system and to fill a lot of the gaps that we've seen exposed as the year went on the end of the season was a a lesson learned in where our depth falters at times and where our biggest needs are so guys any last comments before we go Stu? i might i'm i'm gonna say on the city too i think uh michael wenzel gets a contract for city one next year and replaces one of those center back slots i mean i could go through real quick on mine if you want to do it i'll anger some people do it Uh uh-oh i mean why not Where's the fun? 
Uh, Schneider, I think, frees up the international roster spot. I don't think he comes back. I don't think Owen O'Malley comes back. I'm going to, I think, disagree with Matt, and I would not bring back Jared Stroud. I think I'm glad somebody spot. disagrees with me. I, I agree with his two on that one. I think there's a, a big area for improvement there. Not that Jared's bad, but that's a spot you could improve upon if you want to go and sign someone uh, with more potential maybe or a greater ceiling. Uh, Celio, I'd bring back. Markanik, I would bring back, but also hopefully bring in another left-back option. Uh, John Nelson, I would not bring back. Josh Yarrow, I would bring back. Sam Adenarin, yes, but I do think he might get sold. Uh, Keel Watts, I'm kind of on the fence on. I like Akil a lot, but I think defensively he struggled as a right back, and right back is a position we have to uh, reinforce. Um, John Bell and Lucas Bartlett, uh, one of the two will be back. Uh, I don't, I think they'll be our fourth or fifth choice center back. So ideally, neither of them see too much action. AZ, I would uh, bring back, but I think he's out the door. And Michael Creek, I think you give that spot to a younger guy if it's uh, Bishop or Owen Spore. Um, Even Oliveras from City Two. Yeah, Oliveras was impressive. Uh, I think Eric Walker at one point was mm-hmm. looked as a long-term guy. I know that Achilles injury really is hard to recover from, but he has a massive ceiling. But ultimately, uh, Tim Kelly as goalkeeper coach really knows his stuff over there. So mm-hmm. if he really likes Michael Creek, then I will trust him. Good stuff, Stu. I love getting spicy there at the end. That's it for us. We're Flyover Footy. Thank you for listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. We're going to get out of here. Happy holidays. Thanks for joining us. If you're listening to us on the podcast, stick around for the wind down. And uh, happy holidays, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Welcome back, everybody, to the wind down. It feels kind of weird when I do it myself. I kind of miss Phil's uh, luscious voice leading us in, but we'll we'll get over it. Um, so, Santi, miss you, Phil. we have yeah, I miss you, Phil. He's enjoying some time off, much needed time off, and and we'll get that too. So we are uh, just well, I'll, we'll recap at the end when our when our schedule looks like, but we will be taking some time off for the holidays here. Um, this second part, so the wind down is usually that chill time where we kind of get into more conversational stuff, but because I'm running the show today, we're going to get a little nerdy on some things. All right. I've, I've got, I'm, I'm going to try not to blow everybody's mind. I'm going to try to, I, I, I wordsmith this. I legitimately wrote myself a little bit of a script because I felt like I would just start rambling on all of this stuff. So, so bear with me when I, when I talk through this and, and as a palate cleanser, before we get going, in the chat, Chris Gebhardt asked if if we're going to the season ticket holder holiday event on Saturday. So if you're listening to us uh, before Saturday, yes, we'll be there. If you listen to Flyover, please, for the love of God, come up and say hi. I absolutely love seeing people. If you haven't gotten a sticker, Flyover, I'll have them there. And there's going to be photo opportunities. It's going to be a fun time. Are you going to be there, Santi? I'm going to be there. And there Matt, uh, that has been one of my favorite things of this year, like uh People coming and saying, hey, Santi, uh, I listen to you guys. You do a great job. And 
I always try to carry the stickers too and give a sticker out. Uh, so it's great interacting with our listeners. Yes, nothing I love more. So uh, we'll, there's a question in the chat also about, do we think Hebert moves back to center back depth, find another left back? We will get into that, I promise. The There's a lot to deal with as far as an MLS offseason. And, and a lot of it has to do with what we don't know. So I alluded to it earlier on, the fact that allocation money is just not made public. Like, yes, the league does tell you how much money you get at the beginning of the year. If you make transactions with allocation money, you publicize that as far as trades go. But the the nuances in the roster rules are so heavy-handed as far as the uses for allocation money, the bonuses. I swear, the word bonus does so much work in the roster rules. You get bonuses for missing the playoffs. You get bonuses for making CONCACAF Champions Cup, but none of it is publicized. It could be uh, 500000 It could be 5000 We We don't know. So 5000 City made the playoffs, so we know we don't get that bonus. They, they reward the teams, or at least they help out the teams. Let's say that. Not reward. They help out the teams who don't make the playoffs by giving right. them a little more allocation money. So continuing the parity. But we'll work with what we know. And so as I go through the numbers besides the buckets, keep in mind that this is all educated guesses based on tracking everything we've done so far this year, which I've done my best to, looking at all of the – um, available mechanisms we have, TAM, GAM, DPs, U22s, all of that stuff. So the, the thing to look at as we go from 23 to 24 is there is there's going to be raises in everything across the board. This year in 2023, there was a salary budget of $5.21 million. Every team had to stick under a $5.21 million salary. Next year, it goes up to 5.47. We're talking incremental increases. There's a bigger increase in general allocation money given to each team. 2023, each team got $1.9 million in general allocation money. 2024, each team gets $2.585, a little over $600,000 increase. Discretionary TAM goes down a little bit. They're phasing out TAM over the next few years, and they're increasing GAM because it has a much wider use. You can use GAM in just about everything, but TAM has specific uses like buying down would-be designated players, uh, you can use it's not tradable. That's the end. That's basically it. TAM goes down from 2.72 to 2.4 million. All of that boils to what, what they call an available roster spend. So totaling all three of these numbers, this year the available roster spend for teams was 9.83 million. Next year it goes up to 10.455. And essentially the only thing this doesn't take into consideration are designated players. So designated players will increase salary, but they only hit the salary budget at that max individual salary, which this year was like five, 651000 So they they add on. So you saw those numbers from The Athletic that look to every team's roster is this much in, in salary spend. That's adding DPs. That's how they're able to get above that. If you just use the salary and the allocation monies, you get to these numbers, $10.455 million next year. The idea of... What City is able to do with that is going to be one of the most interesting things. And part of that is carrying forward for the first time all of the work that we've done this year. And so that's where tracking this year has come into really somewhat of an important thing. It's kind of this this is what I've been working towards all year is hoping to have enough information to make educated guesses about what we're going into. So Santi, what I've pulled in, and this is where 
you know, I'll, I'll turn it over to you and what you think about this after, but this is where I need you to strap in and try to stay with me. I'm going to try not to bore everybody. But I'll do my best. Just like two minutes, bear with me, of, of my ultimate nerdy and what I've put together. If we assume that City came in near the max of their salary cap in 2023, which is the most economical since the salary won't roll over, but all of GAM and TAM do roll over for us in 2024, then I'm showing that we'll have just over $700,000 of GAM and TAM to roll over. This gives us a general idea of what we'll be able to work with in the next year. Factors to consider are going to be which players do not re-sign, whose salary is going to come off the books, different transfer fees of some players that get averaged out over the life of their contracts, like Selmer Pedro, Ben Lunt, Jabulu Blom, Nukvi Thorison, who have higher transfer fees or uh, salaries that, that will get uh, averaged out. And most importantly, you take into consideration those new buckets of GAM and TAM that I just mentioned. So looking at all of the things we had in 2023, our overall salary spend this year was a bit over $11 million. Our overall transfer fees were about $6.583 million of what we know that was publicized or reported. And that does not include Klaus and Leuven. The only transfer fees that will be a consideration next year are those that are averaged out, those transfer fees that are averaged out over the life of a contract. We're looking at Selmer Pedro, Ben Lunt, Jabulu Blom, Nukvi Thorson. Those total $624,700 per year that we're going to need to account for because MLS averages out the transfer fees over the life of a player's contract. Between rolling over $700,000 of Gam and Tam, getting $4.985 million more in those buckets, and looking to a few of those 2024 GAM transactions that we've already made, like outgoing GAM for Tim Parker and for Sam Adeneron, incoming GAM from the Charlotte Superdraft trade last year, and trading Atlanta United for an international slot, I think we're going to go into 2024 with a total of around $5.635 million of allocation money, plus a salary budget of around $5.47 million. And our 2023 salary and allocation money needs were $9.35 in this past year. So depending on who we re-sign that we talked about before, I'm estimating that City's going to have a total of $3.056 million worth of space between salary and allocation money, which is a pretty huge amount after already covering all of the existing roster cap and roster space, given the players that we expect to be re-signed. And remembering that the salary cap is only applicable to the senior roster, the first 20 players on the team. A lot of the guys who we've talked about who have their options up or their contracts expiring are on our supplemental roster. So the fact that our salary spend only applies to the senior roster is a huge consideration. The 10 players on the supplemental roster make some of the roster minimums. And they don't count towards that salary cap. I'll end with the fact that players last year, like Sam AZ and Jared Stroud, who ended up being difference makers, were acquired, were acquired from other clubs. And we weren't very active in the free agent market or reentry process last year. But that has definitely now become a viable and cost-effective way to sign players who might be making relatively lower salaries and mitigating some of those internal or external to MLS transfers. So being smart with what you need to do with your books. Santi, have I bored you to death yet? No, but my head is about to explode. Uh, but I like that $3 million number. Uh, that you're estimating we will have available. And, it, and the big thing with the 3 million is that's on top of all the players who are already on the books. So trying to, I, forecast, I trying to forecast who we have in the books, what they're going to take up 
money we've carried over, new money we're getting in those buckets, that's that's sizable. Yeah, even if some of the assumptions are wrong, let's say it is 2.5, it's still a, a very good number considering that you already have your spine secure and you're just looking to uh, improve some positions, get some depth, uh, mm-hmm. thinking about uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup. So um, I think the team is in a great position to uh, to get some of the players it has uh, on uh, on its list of, okay, I need this these two positions and these are the two or three that I'm going to target. Uh, it's good. It's a good starting point. I like it. And uh, you haven't mentioned this yet, but uh, I'm sure that at some point we're going to talk about international spots, right? Yeah, and that is that is a consideration because while we do have all this GAM, TAM, allocation money, salary availability, international slots will take up a bit of that. Unless we've been extremely lucky with our green card situation in getting some of our international players' green cards, we went into 2023 having 11 international players on our roster. One of those was Max Schneider, and he was on loan, so that admittedly didn't take up an international slot. But of players currently on our roster right now, recalling Max Schneider, we have 11. Each year, the number of allowed international slots essentially resets to eight. You can trade for multi-year international slots, but it doesn't really happen. So we'll just say that every year, each team resets their amount to eight. That's why in the offseason, especially in the winter, and in the January transfer window, you'll see a lot of transactions for acquiring international slots. You'll see the jokes that, oh man, I can't wait to, to <laughs> slot in our, our international slot in our defensive mid, and it's hilarious yeah. every time. But we're going to need to get either some more international slots, which means outgoing GAM, or we're going to need to hear about players not taking up international slots and having green cards, which we will be trying to find out if that's the case. We will be asking that question. So if it doesn't get publicized, we're going to try to find out because that's massively impactful to how an MLS roster is constructed. And it will save us a uh, hundred, 200, $300 in allocation money, depending on what the market is at the time for those slots. And I would think um, that we even thought at, at the end of the season, that maybe some of the guys that came in July of 2022 were close to getting their green card. So, I would think uh, that group, um, we should hear something uh, on some of them or on all of them, but I, it's been a year and a half. I, unless there is a delay or something that is not allowing things to go through, I would think uh, all these uh, players that came between July and August of 2022 will get their green cards, which will release uh, some international slots for us. If we can get everybody that came over around that July, August time period in 22, if we can get them a green card going into next season, that would be massive. We're talking about Max Schneider, if he's still on the team, obviously. Talking about Roman Berkey, Klaus, Leuven, Ostrock, Pedro, if he if he rejoins the club. Like all of these guys, Pedro might be an outside thought since he's on loan, but all these other guys who were part of City 2 last year, Massive benefit if we can get most of those green. That would save us legitimately hundreds of thousands, if not a million dollars in GAM, if we're able to do that. Because teams, if we don't use up all of our international slots, then suddenly we have the potential to trade away and acquire some more. I mean, that's it's a boon to business if you can be smart with your international slots and your green card situation. It's another way that the growing city front office 
can position themselves better for the future. With a lot of these guys on multi-year contracts, even extending out until 25, like you mentioned with Berkey, or 26, 27 with a Leuven and, and an Ostrock, those kinds of things, and a Jensen when he comes back. Like that's These are long-term things that are considerations for City. Santi, I mentioned that all of this, this potential uh, large amount of allocation money that we'll have available or large amount of salary spend between however they decide to bucket it out between the salary and allocation money buckets. If you look to some of the players that we've spent that money on here recently and what we can expect from how much is Lutz willing to pay for a transfer fee for certain types of players, it can I think it can give us a good idea as we look to some of the depth positions um, that, that we're really going to need to be targeting where we think that City should kind of pivot their attention. Looking at guys like Nuke V. Thorson, who had uh, an estimated six hundred plus thousand dollar transfer fee. He he's his transfer fee hits at around two hundred sixty seven thousand per year because of his contract length. So we're we're talking a lot of money for for Thorson. We're talking Blome at around three hundred three hundred fifteen thousand. Uh, we're looking at Selmer Pedro, who had a three hundred thousand dollar transfer fee. These are these are pretty sizable numbers for guys who have not proven a ton yet, but we see the caliber. So Jabulu Blom is probably the most proven of the players at $315,000 transfer fee. Nuki Thorsten, Lutz has said that his eye is always on next year. So if I look to project not just the quality, but the the depth for his position, I, I have to slot Thorsten in as a potential starter for next year just based on where he's forecasted. And comparing Thorsten's end of 23 to let's say, a Klaus or Leuven's end of 22 in, in how much time they played with the team they came here for. It wasn't a ton, but it was enough to get acclimated. So do you want to look to some of these positions that we think might be key needs as we go into this offseason and what you might have? Because let's start it off with the question from Fatbug24 in the chat. Do you think Hebert moves back to the depth at mm-hmm. center back and they find another left back? That's definitely a, a position, I think, um, the team – is going to um, try to find somebody to bring, and you you kind of still have a uh, Hebert as uh, like yeah he is part of the of your depth chart as center back, but if something happens to that new option and then to Anthony Marcani, Hebert can can yeah. fill in especially when the schedule gets congested. So so yeah I I think um, I think he will be part of that center mark center back depth and if the team brings uh, a left back um hopefully it would probably be somebody who will be above heaver and Marcanic or somebody who will compete uh with them to get that starting role um so yeah i i, I like that flexibility that heaver could provide as both center back and and left back, uh, but Matt, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to forget. Um, with all this money that it's available, <laughs> I think uh, another another scenario, another um, option that the club. Um, and and this is this is more me wanting it. Uh, is that, hey, mm-hmm. there is money, so uh, look at filling up those U twenty two slots. Uh, there, there is money there to spend, and then you also have uh, the flexibility on the budget side. I was waiting for you to bring it up. I, I didn't <laughs> want to tee it up too well for you, but this is your bread and butter, I feel, because it plays into a lot of 
uh, a lot of the desire for City to sign South American talent too. And that, that's that been a loud outcry from a, a, a portion of the fan base to have just more representation in general. But we see how much the U-22 initiative comes from South America, whether it's Argentina, whether it's Colombia, whether it's Chile, like all of these, this, this area is scouted so well for that that type of player. And, and the reason that we harp on U-22 isn't just the concept of signing and developing and then selling on, but as a refresher, MLS roster rules directly reward you for signing players under the age of 22 to your senior roster. You're, you're afforded massive salary relief in the, in the same vein as a designated player. U-22s that are signed and slotted into U-22 initiative slots, every team gets three of them, they only hit the salary budget at about $150,000. And so you're looking at being able to pay a player hundreds of thousands, uh, approaching a million potentially, but they only hit the salary budget at 150,000. That's huge. And if we talk about how to make the most out of this two to three million, whatever it is that we'll have available to us in this offseason uh, to build our roster to flesh it out, then that would that would shore up such a core piece of it, no matter what position they play. But if you're able to sign that level of a talent and say we expect this much from this player and they're only costing us 150,000 to our salary budget. Massive, absolutely huge. And we haven't seen that utilized at all because a lot of the conversation in 23 is centered around our designated players, Klaus, Leuven, Berkey, will he, won't he type of a thing. Where <laughs> yeah. We don't have a third DP, but for roster building purposes, we could have slotted him in. We just would have had to pay a small penalty to MLS. But we didn't do that. Berkey was, by all accounts, not a designated player. So we only had two DPs. We had no young designated player, which is a U23, which is the same concept. They hit the salary budget at about 200000 and no U22s. So we have all of these other mechanisms available to us as we, we round out our roster, no matter who we don't re-sign. But looking ahead to the, uh, the external transfer window, really, because that's where all these come into play. It's players on their first contract to MLS. This is really on top of everything we've discussed so far is how can Lutz and Bradley and company make the most of these slots and make them, make them matter long-term because maybe that's, maybe they just didn't have that. They didn't strike gold their first year and that's fine. But if you go two, three years, if Lutz goes his entire, his entire career with city, having not signed a single U 22, you got to look back and say that that has to be a mistake on some level. Yeah. You can make an argument that you just didn't find the right talent, but at the end of the day, it's your job to find that kind of a talent and to make the most of your roster space that works in your system. That's a key piece of the roster build that you're just not taking advantage of, which does impact other areas. It impacts your ability to sign other high value potential players if you're not taking advantage of what MLS gives you. Yeah, definitely try to use all those uh, tools and mechanisms that are at your disposal. And I, I have a feeling that we will see a, a U22 player this year. I was trying to look for a for a quote from uh, the end of the year press conference. I remember Lutz saying uh, when talking about the next transfer window, he was saying it doesn't have to be the best player, just mm -hmm. a player that fits the system. And I think that's where some of these U22s can come in. Maybe they are not the best player yet, but uh, you bring them young and it gives you advantages on the budget side and you can develop them, have them play for two, three years and maybe uh, make some money out of it um, later on. And at the same time, as you said, like 
if you use those mechanisms, you, you will still have money left uh, to sign other players that may be more expensive. And and this is, um, I know people talk a lot about Miami bringing Messi and signing a lot of players, but basically what allowed them to sign so many players, what to use to make use of all those mechanisms. Uh, and I'm sure some teams will be looking at that and say, hey, we should be doing that and using all those mechanisms. So I hope in City uh, somehow uses all or most of them. Yeah, the what Miami was able to do was it was made fun of in a lot of circles. But I, aside from what happened to them previously with, I think it was, was it Chris Henderson was their, their GM? Mm-hmm. Aside from, from the whole sanctioning and the fines and everything, what they were able to do this this last year, not just in bringing in Messi, but overhauling their roster, would not have been possible without some of the moves they made, taking advantage of basically everything MLS allowed them to take advantage of. Even going back to Joseph Martinez, who they signed from Atlanta, Atlanta picked up enough of his salary that he wasn't a designated player for them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah... Outsiders can look to MLS and say, oh, that's a joke that they're creating these mechanisms and Joseph Martinez doesn't count, blah, blah, blah. But MLS created – they have these rules and they're convoluted rules and they take a lot to navigate. But you have to give a team like Miami credit for leveraging what they have done to be able to build what they're going towards next year. And and in that sense, yeah, they do have to be looked at as the model because U22s in particular, then they've signed three of them, aren't just good until they're 22. You can sign a U22 player who's, say, 20 years old. You can sign him to a five-year contract up until mm-hmm. the age of 25, and he's he's still benefiting your your salary that in that way. So ages 20 and younger, it hits at 150000 Ages 21 to 25, 200000 It's It's a small difference that you have. It's basically cost control. Be liken it to baseball. You have cost control over a player for a certain period of years, certain service, right? It's it's the similar concept of, of being able to benefit from that. And we haven't taken advantage of that at all yet. And I I would struggle to, but I'd be frustrated to, but I could give him a pass for another year if something happens next summer. But if you go multiple years without taking advantage of any of these mechanisms, then the notion of, and, and I, I don't mean to be too critical because I never intend to be too critical, especially after coming off the season we did. But if you don't take advantage of those types of scenarios, then you're not truly setting yourself up for success long-term within the confines of what MLS is affording you to. I'm not asking you to find the absolute best U22 that is in South America and try to sign them. I'm asking you to find a U22 that fits your bill and would be a like-for-like player to maybe an Edu Leuven in quality, mm-hmm. but you can sign them for so much cheaper and have so much control over their cost relative to your salary charge for four or five years and then sell them on. That's the other benefit is you have all this this ability to control your own roster spend, but then you have the sell on. So you're the whole purpose of U22 initiative is to sign young, develop, sell on, rinse and repeat, make, make all of these, these massive, you know, outgoing transfers and, and all of those outgoing transfers. When you add up over all the MLS teams incrementally, it does add up to that story they tell about the league turning into a selling league. Like they're giving the teams all of this, all these options, all these capabilities. City just needs to join the club and start using them. Yeah, yeah. I, I really hope uh, we start seeing the club using some of those. Um, if you think about long term, yeah, if, if you want to 
be up there with the Seattle's and LAFC's uh, of the MLS. Um, you have to uh, make use of anything you have at your disposal to uh, continue building a, a competitive roster. And and yeah, maybe uh, I will be a little disappointed if nothing happens in during this window uh, with any of those. But um, hopefully, if if it's not this window, hopefully during um, the summer window. But but yeah, at some point. It needs uh, it needs to happen, and we know, especially in Europe, a lot of the contracts end in the summer, and so the it will be interesting to see where we find any uh, any potential signings that are outside of MLS in this window. That's that's always an interesting January transfer window conversation. Santi, where do you see our biggest area of need? And I'll start with the Matt Doyle article on MLSsoccer.com that specified fullback, and that's no that's that's not a hot take to say that fullback is our, our biggest area of need, but you see left or right back as the bigger area of need. Ooh. And let me, let me, let me give you a moment to think with caveats of in this scenario, let's say we, we have Kyle Heber on the roster. We have Anthony Marcanic on the roster. Summer Pedro remains on loan. Johnny Nelson is gone. We have re-signed Akil Watts. We still have Norwinsky under contract, and we've let Odomali go. With that scenario in mind, um, I'm I'm gonna. It's difficult, but I, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go left, just because. Uh, just thinking that Kyle Hewitt, you may need him to fill in at center back at some point, uh, and um, yeah, just have a Kyle Hewitt was converted from center back to left back and he did okay uh but just thinking Marcanic uh is still young um i i will bring uh, a left center back that uh who either has experience in mls or has a uh, experience playing overseas uh, so to me is that left back position but i could go either way uh but yeah definitely the the biggest uh need um is um, fullbacks. I'm not even going to pretend to take the opposing point of view. I I, I definitely think it's left back. And I, we could go with a, a higher quality overall right back. Sure, you could, you could always improve in any one position, but left back is it. And I would be a little disappointed if we went into the 2024 season with Kyle Hebert. I, I would be very disappointed, let's just say that, if we went into it with Kyle Hebert and Anthony Marcanic as our left backs for two reasons. One, Kyle Hebert is a converted center back. He wasn't intended to play left back, and he's done an admirable job in the time that he's been there. He's won more games than he's lost at, at as our left back, and he's definitely grown and developed throughout the year. And you can't look him in the eye in person and have a bad thing to say about him because his his personality and his his drive and commitment is second to none. But his home is at center back, and that's where I think he provides the best option for us and and for himself. Anthony Marcanic was very specifically signed to be the backup. Lutz was very mm-hmm. open about that, right? The transfer, when, when I asked him about the transfer window at the season ending press conference, he said Anthony Marcanic was signed to be the backup. And what he showed at the end of the season was phenomenal. And everybody was kind of, if not taken aback, then pleasantly surprised in how he was able to take that role and run with it for a period of time. But I don't think he's there to be, if we want to compete in all of these competitions, in MLS for the season run, he's not our starting left back. He is a 
rotational left back that we can use to start in the U.S. Open Cup, potentially use to start in the CONCACAF Champions Cup and be happy about that. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if we started Marcanic in in any of those competitions. But for for running the table back in MLS play, I want to see us make a splash at left back. I want to see a significant signing because now we know the importance that the fullbacks have in this system. We've we've seen it. It's not a projection. It's not well, City 2 did this, or we saw Ezra Armstrong, or we saw uh, like Sergio Rivas or whoever it was at right back. We saw what they did in City 2, so I think they're going to do something similar. We have a, a pretty good sample size now, full season's worth of data of what this system does consistently and how they run that asynchronous approach, whether it's pushing up the right, pushing up the left. They do one of those fairly regularly. And so having Watson or Winsky on the right back side, if you continue to develop them, especially Akeel Watts, it gives you some flexibility on what you can do with left back, but you still need somebody of a higher caliber to take you to that next level. You need, and I don't, I'm not advocating for signing this player, especially in light of recent events, but you need a Kai Wagner type of a player. Mm. That's, that's the caliber that I'm looking to. And I would be, I wouldn't be disappointed if we didn't, because it's not like I expect us to sign that kind of a player, but that's one of the players where I say, all right, left back is the biggest area of need. And if we're going to make a splash and we're going to we're going to sign the highest type of a caliber player that I think we're capable of, Kai Wagner, that type of type of a player is where I want us to go. Beyond that, I I I mean right back, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be an area of focus with Jake Nerwinski and Akil Watts. But I do think there's some interesting things at center back, Satsi. And I'm interesting, I'm interested to hear what you think about this thought. So we have Tim Parker, we have Joachim Nilsson, right? Let's assume both of them come back healthy. Both of them are ready to go. Let's assume we sign a left back. And so Kyle Hebert now becomes more center back depth. We have Kyle Hebert. We have Michael Wenzel, who we talked earlier in the show about likely to be signed. And we have Josh Yarrow. I think it was Stu that mentioned, given that there's no reason to re-sign Lucas Bartlett or John Bell. So A, would you be okay with those five as our center backs, if we did sign a new left back, um, or do you think we would need additional help at center back? No, uh, I think I think that would be enough. Um, you have a mix of experience and um, some young players, assuming uh, Michael Wenzel is is signed. And and then the the other thing uh, that I connect to uh, the right back position and. Maybe just uh, staying with Akil Watts and Jake Nerwinski. Josh Jarrow um, had a couple of games where he played a uh, right back, so he could be an option there should that become necessary. So, so yeah, I would be comfortable with that mix of uh, of um, Tim Parker, Joachim Nilsson, Kyle Hebert, Michael Benzel, and um, Josh Jarrow as a center back and. And yeah, like uh, the team had more options at that position this year. But uh, as we had mentioned, like the team needs to, uh, we know it's only 30, 30 um, roster slots. So um, you need to release some of those in order to be able to have some slots for some of the, these new players you want to bring. So, so yeah, I'll be okay with those five uh, being uh, the center back depth. I want to look at something that I think has has gone a little bit overlooked and probably deservedly so uh, over the past few weeks, and that's our homegrown players. Going into 2024, 
we have three homegrown players under contract. We have Caden Glover, we have Miggy Perez, and we have Tyson Pierce. Tyson Pierce was signed officially on Thursday, August 16th, 2023, to an MLS homegrown contract through 2027 with an option for 2028. He's a midfielder and was signed as the club's third MLS homegrown. So, Santi, how much of an impact do you see these three playing? And does it does it impact our need for certain positions? Like if we assume that let's assume that Sam gets re-signed, that puts us at Klaus, Nico, Sam, Caden, potentially Rasmus Alm up at a striker if we run a 4-4-2. Would you see us needing to sign anybody at the striker position if that's the case? And then do you think that Tyson Pierce and Miggy Perez are able to take those steps to be meaningful contributors at all next year? So I'm going to start with uh, Tyson Pierce and, uh, and Miggy Perez. So obviously, Miguel Perez, uh, he uh, contributed at the begin- at, in, on the early part of the season um, because there was a need. Uh, he ended up starting some games and... Um, I know pe- I know people will say, well, but when he started, the team was, I, and I don't remember the record, but it was a losing record. Um, but I don't think it's all about that. Uh, he he was on the right path for development, and and he yeah yeah like uh, when when he went to City two after um, after the second part of the season, he got injured and ended up not not getting any more opportunities with City. But I think that's part of that mentality and and that goal of of developing players and uh, he's right there so so yeah i think he he will be back with city and considering um there will be multiple opportunities to play when you when you are in Concacaf champions cup yeah he will make some appearances and be on the bench sometimes as far as peers um i think he will be what Caden Glover was this year, play with uh, CD2 and and maybe on occasion uh, be, on, be on the game day roster, maybe depending on how the game is going, he may get an opportunity either Open Cup, CONCACAF Champions or whenever um, the schedule is congested the way uh, the way um, the way that uh, the way it happened when uh, when Caden when Caden Glover played against Chicago Fire, it was one of those weeks uh, where he was uh, congested the schedule, and he ended up uh, making his MLS debut. Then uh, when we go to Glover, uh, I think is also part of that uh, next step. So he proved uh, with City Two that that he he's a good player. He scored goals. He he had a good amount of minutes. So now the next step for him is is to, to be more with the first team and uh, take advantage of uh, all these competitions. And he will see some minutes. I, I remember uh, talking to Lutz uh, a few weeks ago and, and he was saying, yeah, with all those these competitions, uh, I know I, I have only 30 roster slots. So, so yeah, we will see more uh, of any of the young players that are part of that 30-player 30 roster, 30 roster. So... So I can see uh, Caden Glover taking that next step, getting more minutes, and um, and continue his path for uh, development. 
you know, as as much as we talk about Lutz in his year three of five, a lot of these these players and these contracts are clearly setting City up for success long term, and he's putting the puzzle pieces in place. It's like the the Hamilton quote: he's he's building a system that's going to outlive him with St. Louis, and so he's putting all the pieces in a place that that shore up certain positions in what you hope, as long as they they live up to the hype and they they come to fruition as far as their growth and development. Then you've got your striker, you have your midfielders, and and you have a lot of foundation set potentially to carry the torch from where your designated players are hopefully taking you. But I guess the positions that we really haven't touched on are more in the midfield areas, right? So is is that a potential area for market improvement similar to left back, where we feel like we might have our center back depth, our right back we'd probably be comfortable with, um, left back we clearly see an area of improvement, striker we may entirely be uh, good with as long as Sam is re-signed. If Sam's not re-signed, I still think there is a likelihood that we stand pat, especially with uh, Nuke B. Thorson, with Rasmus Alm in those 4-4-2s. I think there's a lot that they can offer up top just as much as they can on the left and right mids of a 4-2-3-1. Then in the, in the midfield, I mean, you're looking at, at the depth that we saw this year where you have guys like anchored by Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven, whether it's on the left of a diamond, as a double pivot, as a 10 all over the place. You have AZ Jackson, you have Indiana Vasilev, Tomas Ostrock, Jared Stroud, Celio Pompeu. The latter two might not get re-signed. We don't know. But, you know, I, I look at – I'm curious, I guess, more than anything. And I'll just posit this as how Lutz might look to this. Because, yes, Chris Gebhardt mentioned Leuven with his preferred number six, double pivot next to Blome. Do you, do you look to this as – we know that we run a 4-4-2. We know that we run a 4-2-3-1 periodically. Those are what we're comfortable with. So we need to have depth at certain spots. I'm always I'm always interested in how they approach these potential depth signings, knowing who's on the roster. Do they see do they have a 4-4-2 depth chart written up and say we see deficiencies mm. here? Or do they have a 4-2-3-1 that says, you know, our left mid could use some work. You know, I think we need a player who can really take that to the next level. And especially like a right mid, if, if Rasmus Alm isn't healthy, ready to go, do we need to have somebody of his caliber ready to go at right mid? You know, those are the conversations that are going to drive this offseason. And I, I, I guess I'm just putting thoughts out there as opposed to really taking stances on where we need specific areas of help because our, our diversity in formation directly impacts our areas of deficiency, right? Because if you look at a 4-4-2, you can say that, all right, starting 11, we have Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven, Indiana Vasilev, and AZ Jackson as our top four. Where do you improve on that? And, and you can improve easily, but like, where do you choose to improve? Do you improve with AZ Jackson? Do you improve with Matt Doyle even mentioned maybe needing to improve on Jabulu Blom? Do you improve on Indiana Vasilev? Like, the concept of choosing where to improve based on the depth charts that you have is one of the more fascinating things and probably honestly more fascinating than the original roster construction was. And it, it really leads into, I guess, how you want this team to really come out of the gates next year. Do you see as the four, four, two, the predominant formation that you build off of and you just have enough depth to cover other types of formations? What do you think they look at when, when you have these kind of, conversations yeah definitely um that attacking mid position uh, especially 
if um, there there could be a potential transfer for AC Jackson, and, and we didn't talk a lot about that, but I think the the potential transfers for AC and uh, Adenian would be more like summer transfers. Yeah. But uh, but you have to start preparing for that, and as far as that being a possibility, um, yeah, I definitely will bring uh, a player that that can play uh, that either that number 10 or that number eight position. Uh, and I, and that's where I will bring another established player uh, either from MLS or from, uh, another league. But, uh, but yeah, if you want to, uh, compete on, in all these fronts, especially CONCACAF Champions League that we know is more, more likely going to be a team from Mexico or another team from MLS, um, yeah. you have to be competitive right away. It's not like, uh, hey, you may play a, a team from uh, from Central America that maybe you may have an easier path. And I say easier, it could be, it could still be difficult if you draw somebody from Costa Rica, Honduras, Salvador. Playing at those places is still really difficult, but. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's a position where I would look to uh, bring somebody just to keep uh, the competition, the internal competition that uh, the team always talks about and uh, just preparing for a potential departure uh, with AC. Santi, we kind of went position by position there, which I really wasn't expecting us to do. But I think we've got I think we've got everybody prepped for the offseason. We we went through the calendar, we went through what everything means, positions we might be looking at, uh, different things to keep in mind. Is there anything else you want to get before we uh call it a show? No, no, I think um I think that's all for now. And looking forward to getting some news in the next couple of weeks. Uh we will know um who will leave, uh who or maybe who maybe doesn't have their options picked up, but it's still in negotiations. Like we will have more information and hopefully uh, be able to start putting some of these pieces together. Teams have already started making announcements who have been eliminated from the playoffs. City were not expecting anything until December 1st when the club deadline to exercise those options are. So don't be surprised if we don't hear anything before Thanksgiving, but that week after Thanksgiving, there should be something to know, at least by the end of that week. And for Flyer Footy, we we keep referring to the fact that we're taking a break. And Phil has has done the right thing in taking a, a break to start. But we are going to be taking a break after this week. So we're going to take, obviously, Thanksgiving off because we don't – we're not going to record on Thanksgiving dinner. We're all going to be <laughs> stuffed with turkey and, and laying on our couches. But we'll do one or two more shows between the holidays. Obviously, what we talked about tonight, there's a lot that's going to happen in the next month or two. And, and there's a lot of roster moves that will happen. There's a CONCACAF Champions Cup draw on December 13th that we're going to be uh, interested in. Obviously, MLS Cup Final will occur on the 9th. And, and there's just a lot of MLS playoffs that's going to be occurring. We'll do one or two shows between the holidays. And then after Christmas, after New Year's, we're going to get right back into it when training camp does. So bear with us on that. Enjoy yourselves around the holidays. Chris Gebhardt wants to know what's on the menu at Santi's house. Santi, close with what you usually serve and eat on Thanksgiving. Uh, this is going to be boring um, because we usually go to a friend's house. Uh, basically, we don't have any family here. Uh, so basically, the, the few 
some of our group of friends that are in the same situation that don't have family here in St. Louis. We get together um, and uh, we usually bring dessert uh, and uh, maybe um, a side plate, but this is just the, the usual, like a turkey, a stuffing, like all the usual Thanksgiving meal, nothing, nothing different. So the usual American Thanksgiving, but you do a Friendsgiving. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Enjoy the holidays. Everybody who's listening, thank you for sticking with us. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy spending time with friends and family. And hopefully we get more city news as quickly as possible. We are clamoring for it just as much as you are. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sticking with us. And as always, we'll talk to you later. Vamos City. Oh, 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 oh,